Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. The first letter of St. John, from the fourth chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the expiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his own spirit. And we have seen him and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God should love also his brother. This is a remarkable text. It is written by St. John, whose gospel contains that famous line, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We hear echoes of that line all throughout that passage. And clearly, St. John, having written his gospel in the decades after Jesus' um, ascension, writing these epistles now, probably as an old man in Ephesus, maybe in the late 90s to, to almost the, the turn of the first century into the second is still completely obsessed with the theme of love. God's love for us, our love for others in imitation of God's love for us. This is the theme of an apostle of Christ and his ministry. So, love, what is it? On our website, under our About Us page section, the first sentence describing who we are says this. The Church of the Advent is a community within the city of Atlanta seeking to love God with all that we have and to love everyone as God loves them. It's difficult to sum up the purpose or identity of a group or organization in just a few words, but if you have a website with an About page, you have to give it a try. So we faced that challenge in deciding how we were going to distill every aspect of who we are at this church into a brief description 
And I think we did a decent job. Um, we created actually three um, sections to introduce us, our name, our mission, and our values. And each of these have some brief uh, paragraphs explaining those things. But at the top of that, to sum it all up, is this brief sentence encapsulating what we're all about, loving God and loving others. We thought this was appropriate because with all the unique things about us in particular, our history, uh, what we believe, the things that may distinguish us from other uh, churches or groups, like our name and our mission and everything, at the core, we are simply Christians. We're little Christ. That is, it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And that is the universal Christian identity. Who are we at the Advent? We're Christians. So we just use this identity uh, to sum us up the same way Christ did, the same way he explained what a Christian is, loving God and loving neighbors. He gives this uh, command in the Gospels. But... I thought this was when someone asked him to summarize the Old Testament law. What's the, what is the law about? And he says it can be summed up in this. Love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. But what does that have to say for the New Testament? Well, what it means is that uh, the New Testament is about the summarizing and fulfilling of the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish the law, Jesus said, but to fulfill it. In other words, the whole purpose of the law. Uh, the law being there to perfect the love of God and the love of others had not been fulfilled or accomplished until Jesus came and did it himself. He is the first human being, the first real man that was ever able to do that, to love God perfectly and to love others perfectly. This is why ever since Adam, we've never seen a human being really be a human being until Christ and Pilate um, accidentally becoming a prophet in that moment when Jesus is brought out in the midst of his passion with a crown of thorns and, and you know uh, a, a purple robe Pilate says behold the man ecce homo this is a human being this is what we see when we read the gospel now knowing who Christ is Pilate didn't know what he was saying but we in reading the gospel truly behold a man a real man and so everyone coming after Christ, taking on his name, Christian, that's what we do. We become little Christ. We become real human beings. That's the whole goal of life. And how do we do that? An imitation of Christ, loving God and loving neighbors. So we have this bi-directional love thing, right? Loving God and loving neighbors. But love is a broad term, <laughs> What exactly is love? In English, you know, we have the unfortunate uh, situation where we have this one word to encapsulate a whole range of, well, different kinds of love. Uh, the ancients in Greek and Latin had all kinds of words that we now um, reduce to the one word love. They had amor, caritas, dilectio, eros, philia, agape, storge. And these can refer to erotic love, friendship, intuitive affection, self-sacrificial charity, and feelings of delight. So not all these loves obviously are on the same level, and they don't all refer exactly to the same thing. Some are better or higher loves than others. 
but at least they all have their distinct names. Now in English, we love our spouses and we love ice cream. And so, uh, strangely, it's this um, romantic love that has come to become the dominant meaning of the word. When you say love, that's generally the first thing people think of, romantic love. And even now in our day, romantic love has been flattened out um, even more to just basically refer to the, the uh, notion of infatuation, you know, to be in love. Um, and then even that has been flattened out further and, and uh, convoluted with sexual passion, thus we make love. Um, but passion, actually, is uh, that's not one of the words I use because generally in, in the past, the ancients didn't think of passion as a, a good thing. It's not, it wasn't a love. Passion um, from passio in Latin and pathos in Greek, it actually meant to suffer affliction. That's why we call Jesus suffering his passion. So we need better, more fundamental definitions of love when we explore what it means to say that God is love, like St. John did in his epistle. And we used Father Thomas Hopko's short catechism when we were uh, going through our catechisms. And he, in that writing, has a short section um, explaining what it means to say that God is love. And he points out three distinct types of love, and I think this is probably the best way to, to arrange them. C.S. Lewis has his famous book, uh, The Four Loves, and he, he picks out four. Uh, he adds Storgi as, as one of the loves that he explores, and then the other three are the ones Father Thomas Hopko explores. But I think we can uh, maybe skip the, the Storgi one, and, and these I think will cover generally what we're talking about, the point of St. John's epistle that we read this morning. The first definition is agape. And this is a love that is in action. This is um, love for the sake of the goodness of the other. This is a love that basically means you want to do everything possible for the well-being of others. God truly is agape. This is the word St. John uses when he says God is love. God is agape. This love is something that just desires the goodness of the other. Another love, eros, uh, where we get the word erotic, is a love that means you have a desire for union with the other. So if agape is a desire for the good of the other, eros is a desire to actually be united with the other. And again, we've wrecked this word by uh, assuming erotic means almost sinful passion or just, you know, all out uh, desire for pleasure. Well, that's not exactly it. Pleasure is a, a self-referential thing. Union and communion uh, with another to be united with someone. That's what the true meaning of Eros is about. And it's not by accident that this concept of Eros is the mystic's favorite way of describing the relationship with God. And not just mystics. I mean, this is, this is mainline. Uh, all the church fathers and even uh, you know, before them in, in the Hebrew tradition would hold up the Song of Songs, that remarkable passage in the Old Testament, that amazing book, as an image of God's love for man and man's love for God. It's two lovers uh, describing the type of love that we call eros, and that is the same thing as what God uh, desires for us. He not only wants our good, he wants to be united with us. And in the New Testament, especially in Revelation, you know, we've got this image of 
the lamb being married to his bride. Uh, in Revelation 19, we read, For the marriage of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then in Revelation 21, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. There's this whole description of the wedding feast of the Lamb. So Christ and his church, the imagery of husband and bride becoming united, becoming one. This is Eros. And the third type of love is a love of friendship, philia. This is the Greek word for it. This also can exist between man and God. It's not just mankind, people who can be friends with each other. We can actually be friends with God. Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends at uh, his, his last supper. How can they be friends with God? Well, because they share in the same mission as God. That's what friends tend to do. They stand side by side and look in the same direction. They share um, a common purpose. They uh, enjoy each other's company as co-workers. Um, and so agape is the desire for the good of the other. Uh, eros is the desire to be united with the other. And philia is the desire to work with one another, to have a shared purpose. So these three loves in two directions are our, our goals here when we're told to um, have love for one another, for God and for one another. These are the ways that we have love. And so these loves are our entire purpose. St. John literally says this is what we are about. It's how we know that God is with us and that we are in God if we have love. If we don't, then we don't. It's almost a, a perfect one-to-one in, in whatever ways we are deficient in love, that's how deficient we are in our union with God. It's a simple formula. I think what it means to be a Christian can get overly bogged down in various details. Sometimes we focus a lot on morality and a lot on uh, doctrine and dogma, and all those are incredibly important because they, they relate to truth. We're, all, we're in the business of truth. We want to know what's true. But sometimes they can distort our um, priorities. If we're ever in doubt, our priorities are absolutely to love God with all that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is what we're about. And if anyone looks at us as Christians and they don't see that we're full of love, then we're failing. Um, that's, that's the simple explanation. Just so you know, in case it's not clear, we as Christians are not to hate anybody. We're not to judge anybody. We're told not to judge. It's, it's a simple thing. We distinguish between truth and falsehood. In that way, we judge. And what St. John says in his epistle, um, that we have nothing to fear when it comes judgment time, that's what he's talking about. God doesn't judge people because he hates them. <laughs> he judges them because he loves them. And not just people, but the whole world, the whole cosmos. That's what judgment is about. Separating out what's good from what's bad. And it's not our job to say that a person is good or bad. We can recognize good and bad things in the world, in, in, in behaviors, and in the things that people do and say. That's why we get behind some things and have to say no to others. 
But that doesn't mean that we are judging people. It means that we're judging good from bad, just like God does. Our gospel passage this morning has a very troubling um, picture for some. You have someone suffering in torment and flames. It's this metaphysical picture of, uh, of uh, an advanced judgment. And you have Abraham saying, look, there's a, there's a chasm here that prevents good and bad from commingling. And, uh, you know, good and bad are represented in that story by two different people. Now, that's a story the Lord gives us. It's not something that we go around and apply to what we see. Uh, you are like the poor man and you're good. You are like the rich man and you're bad. That's not what the story is about. It's to describe that goodness and badness have to be separated and badness dealt with and goodness propped up. The judgment is beyond our scope. All that we can do is have the assurance that if we dwell in love, love everyone and love God, then we have nothing to fear in judgment. Whatever's bad in us, we can be assured that that's going to be dealt with in the judgment. So our job now is to deal with that ourselves, to get rid of it by filling our hearts more and more with love, not with self-righteousness, not with moralizing, not with uh, trying to learn all the right things to say or to do, but love. That's the motivation. That's what drives us. If that's our motivation, everything else will um, follow from there. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added. Prioritize. First things first. The first thing for us is to love God and love our neighbor. Sorry if I have to keep repeating that. It's obviously important since St. John for his entire long life uh, continued emphasizing that as the purpose of the Christian life. So I think on this first Sunday, launching us into uh, our sort of ordinary time where we just count Sundays throughout the year, we've gone through this whole giant journey um, through Lent and Easter and Ascension and Pentecost. And last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. And we had the Feast of Corpus Christi was this, this um, past Thursday. And so the lessons we've learned were theological and, and they give us the foundation for living. And now in this first Sunday, launching us out into this new journey throughout the year, what better foundation to launch off with than the first thing to remember? Love God, love neighbors. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.